Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Command Point. My name's Ryan, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Shane. Hello. Hello. How's it going, Shane? It's going well. I'm, I'm having a good couple of days. <laughs> I, yeah, I bet, because you are just coming off of your uh, of your victory during the, uh, the Bay Area Tournament Simulation. So a, a field of 64 players, and you beat all all 63 of those guys yeah well i didn't have to be all of them but yeah yeah but still (laughs) you won how does it how does it feel to be the the winner of the uh the world's biggest kill team tournament in history Uh, it feels pretty crazy um the only thing that i wish was different is i wish it was like an irl tournament oh that's the only way it would have been better um but still i mean that's not not that big of a deal i mean it's uh I'm just glad that I won, and it just feels uh, feels pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just did the Beer in It podcast yesterday. I did that interview that's on his Patreon for anybody that follows him. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been like three days now. Still doesn't feel real. Yeah, you're still just celebrating, just sloshed off Jenny Cream Ale and yeah. well, I just mean, I vibing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, essentially. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. Overall it was a it was a great showing for Command Point. I mean Oh my god. Yeah. All the all the Command Point guys that were in it. Um I myself came in sixth place. Uh Sean came in uh eighth place with his Tyranids, and then you obviously came in first. So I'm yeah. very happy that we were able to <laughs> Honorable mention to Ray J. Yeah, for who sure. Was, who was top thirty two? He made top thirty two. He got I out think. of groups. Yeah. 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 Um he was sixth in the last one, so but yeah, uh, yeah. No, we did pretty well. We didn't even have to rig it. We, did, we didn't even have to rig it. I was I was worried it'd have to come to that. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, I uh, I'm very happy with how how the entire tournament went. Um, it was a blast to play. Yeah, uh, a lot of fun to run, albeit stressful at times. Oh yeah. But yeah, no. I mean, it couldn't uh, made it all worth it. You know. Mm-hmm. So for the first part of this podcast, we're just going to be talking about the tournament, um, basically um, just things like your roster construction, how your list actually functions, um, certain matchups and stuff, secondaries, all kind of like the nitty gritty stuff about your list. And then towards the end, we're going to uh, take a few moments to answer some questions from the mailbag over on our Discord server. So if uh, any of you guys listening have any questions, you can uh, just like about kill team or tournaments or just I mean just the game in general you can head over to our discord and drop a question in the mailbag mm-hmm. link in mailbag. the description mailbag episode we mailbag love those episode. yeah okay so um first off you chose to run Astartes for this tournament which is very against type for you because oh, yeah. basically the whole time that you've been playing this game you've been playing um, hordes, or I would say like semi hordes, so things like orcs, heretics, demons, and necrons. Like those are kind of like the four. Xenos, yeah, a lot of Xenos, Xenos. <laughs> a lot of Xenos, yeah. So what? So what was it um, that that made you decide to choose Astartes for the for the Bay Area tournament simulation? Um. So I, I basically I was really I didn't go that hard in preparation for the invitational and i just really wanted to focus on on running it and making sure everything went smoothly 
So I, I took an orc roster to that and I didn't like, I didn't put in like a ton of prep. Like it wasn't like a huge process creating the roster and then like prepping for every game. And then when I got eliminated, I was like, this is a, it felt like crap. Honestly, it was weird. Cause yeah. I was like, man, there's all these good players and I'm playing them for the first time. And I, I feel like I could have done a lot better. So I went into this one with like the mindset of I'm going to try my hardest to win. I'm just going to I'm going to go all in. I'm going to find the strongest thing I can and I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to try and win. And uh I went through a bunch of different lists, a bunch of different factions, and I I ended up deciding that I think Astartes was the strongest thing. Um and uh it went very well for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously. I I had created a, a Blood Angels roster or list rather that was basically designed to kill T3 um, and like Drakari especially uh, and the rest of the list or roster was uh, composed of um, Black Templars which I kind of derived from uh, your White Scars list mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I mean I, I added the grav guns because I realized how cheap those things were and how good they are at, at killing like marine equivalents, basically. Yeah. And the um, I had a few extra storm shields, and the only thing I didn't have an answer for in the sub factions, like in the roster, was psychic. So when I played against psychic, I had to yeah run the mutt list. But yeah. yeah. So um, <clears throat> what was it about the black templars and blood angels that won you over compared to other Astartes sub factions such as salamanders? Um, Salamanders, to me, it feels like it's like a very middle of the road, kind of. I know it's like considered to be one of the best, but to me, it's it's always going to be serviceable. It's never really going to be bad, but I feel like it doesn't excel enough at anything. Um, and I don't want to say that Salamanders can't succeed. I mean, I definitely think they can, but I think it's you're going to have a harder time taking... Uh, a team to top table and, and placing top two, top four with Salamanders compared to uh, this Templar team on, on this packet because uh, the Templars, I might as well have just run all Templars this tournament because I never got to actually use my Blood Angels so I guess we can just talk about Templars mostly. Um, the, uh, I mean, first of all, since we're on Arena on BAO, it's all Arena, it's very well suited to melee. Um doors being open brought some question marks into that but i think in the end it was it was definitely still better for for melee teams uh and templars can get into combat easily um i've said before i think rerolling charges is like one of the best native abilities in kill team um i mean just especially when you're running a team with like six bodies which was what my templar team essentially was it was like you if if one of those bodies fails a charge that's like 23 points that is just sitting there not doing anything yeah just waiting to get hit with a flamer or something yeah i mean as nice as the the benefits of white scars are uh it was like i can easily just mess up a charge here and i can't tell you how many times the re-rolling charges got me in when i otherwise would have failed or had to have spent a cp or something like that yeah Um, and on and on the other side of that as someone who did run the white scars yeah. instead of the black templars against your judgment um there were it was when you when you're building a melee team you definitely need to think about the vehicle that you're using to get those models into combat anyways so yeah. the the black templars on arena definitely outperform the white scars in that aspect mm-hmm. yeah i mean like the more expensive a model is the more 
um, especially a melee model, obviously, the more expensive like a melee focused model is, the more you need to be able to reroll charges, in my opinion. Yeah. Like with, ironically, like teams like orcs, like Evil Sons orcs specifically, um, where it's just like a horde of boys, it's not that big of a deal if you fail a charge with an orc, like an orc boy in yeah. a swarm of, of red. Um, but if you fail a charge with a, like a storm shield vanguard veteran who has a power fist or a relic blade or something, then that sucks. That's yeah. like a huge, that could just, that could kill your game. Yeah. Like all your momentum can just go out the window. Mm-hmm. So in order for a team like this to work, like a super heavy, like elite melee team, they need to be able to reroll charges. You need to make sure that they get in. And also, if you aren't spending CP rerolling charges, that's CP that goes towards death deny. Yeah. Which is, I mean, anything you can do to not spend command points as this team, you you need to look that way because death deny trumps everything. Yeah. It's like one of the only faction tactics that is more important than like a decisive strike or like mm-hmm. a reroll or something. Yeah. And I mean, like salamanders, they do offer you the benefit of. Um, you're not spending CP to, I guess, like re-roll a hit roll and then re-roll a wound roll, but the way that uh, you constructed your roster, you kind of weren't really reliant on re-rolling hits or wounds because the models, they had so many attacks already, even with power fists. Yeah. Like, average, on average, you're putting out, like, three yeah, everybody, power fist attacks yeah. on the guys with power fists. Everybody had uh, three attacks, so yeah. it's basically, like, the Sternguard leader... He's a sergeant, so he has three attacks. The intercessor sergeant has three attacks. Yeah. Um, the vanguard veteran with the fist was a combat, so that brought him to three attacks. Yeah. The vanguard sergeant has three. The veteran sergeant has three. So it's it really kind of balances itself out. Um, and then they all have power fists, so you're not going to have yeah. to hardly ever re-roll a wound roll, except yeah. for the guy with the relic blade, but even then it's still... Mm-hmm. The numbers are it's yeah. so good in your favor. Yeah, um, and what's nice about it is... Like you, the re- and really you don't need the like mathematically you do not need to have a hit or wound reroll unless you're against like weirdly enough another storm shield or like a custody or something. Mm-hmm. Um, three attacks with a power fist or relic blade is mathematically enough to kill most unit or not kill but get to an injury roll. Yeah, uh, math. It's just the math is always in your favor mm-hmm. in combat situations like that. So I didn't really get too worried about rerolls. Yeah. Nine models from your uh, from your roster were Blood Angels. The remainder were Black Templars. Um, do you think that, like, going forward, Astartes players need to include multiple sub-factions or multiple Space Marine chapters in their tournament rosters to stand a chance of real tournament success? Uh, I mean, it's tough to say, but, I mean, for me, I... I mean, I guess, <laughs> again... I could have run all Black Templars, and it wouldn't have changed anything because right. I never had to play Drakari or, or Harlequins or anything. But here's the thing. If I ran into those teams, I would have had, like, the the Templars wouldn't have done it. Yeah. They, they would have lost um, in all likelihood, I think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's with with the way that you can kit Astartes out with the, like, million different ways you can play them, I think you're kind of hurting yourself by not splitting at least two two on a 20-man roster so like one uh, or rather two sub factions on a single roster it's as long as they are you are very aware of the purpose that they're fulfilling so like i knew exactly the situations when i was going to take my blood angels and i knew the situations when i was going to take my templars um and and you need to make sure that those situations are well 
accustomed or at least good at handling the gatekeepers. You need to keep that in mind before you go because I made this thinking there's probably going to be a lot of Necrons. Yeah. There's probably going to be a lot of Drakari. So I need to have answers to those things. Um, and I don't think with Astartes, at least I haven't found something that has a really good answer for everything because even in this tournament, I was really worried about Psychic. Um, I was really worried about the two games I had to play Thousand Suns. Yeah. Um, fortunately, those went my way, but yeah. I think there's a lot of scenarios where it, it doesn't go my way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you need to diversify as much as possible, be prepared for all the possible um, situations that you can, and I think the best way to do that is with two sub-factions. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the Blood Angels, uh, not exactly like half of your roster, but let's just talk about it a little bit because I think half. this story, yeah, almost half, because I think the story behind uh, the creation of this roster is, is hilarious to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, when Sisters of Silence came out, this was like the start, this was like how it started. Um, this is where like the seeds were planted. I was running the Sisters of Silence so that I could like talk about them on the pod and uh, I was forced to use the bolters because that's their really only their only ranged option other than a flamer. Right. And while using the bolters, I was like realizing that they they really did do pretty decent work against a lot of T three and even against some T four with like bad saves. Um. So it like I was thinking about it and I was like you know I wonder if with like Astartes for instance who are like more tanky than the Sisters of Silence like Toughness 4, um, and they have like Death Deny and Battle Brothers, and they have so many options. Like, I wonder if you just want bolt guns and chainswords, like the most vanilla stuff ever. Yeah. And like, if, like just to save bodies and or save uh, points to add more bodies, like what you can end up with. And I ended up with nine men on a 125-point roster for, uh, for my Blood Angels with the idea of if you just played these guys against Toughness 3, um, first of all, if, if, you, if you, the charge isn't looking good then you can just walk forward and shoot because they all have bolt guns because there's so many space marine models that can take bolt guns and chain swords yeah or like with some of the company vets and stuff they can take like two chain swords and a bolt gun something like yeah three arms or something <laughs> like, i don't know <laughs> um and uh yeah so i mean you get nine bodies doing that and um if the charge isn't good, it's not like Black Templars where like you're in a situation where you're forced into melee because these guys have bolt guns. You can just walk forward and shoot, and then when the charge is good, you go for it. And uh, I made it, and I, I like I wrote it on Battlescribe and I showed it to to you and some other people, and I was like, was la- the, yeah, I was laughed out of the room. <laughs> yeah, the knee jerk reaction was, "This is ridiculous. Where are all your? Yeah, how are you gonna?" What is this even for? What do you mean? It's just <laughs> it's just a bunch of chain sword attacks and a bunch of bolt yeah. guns. How are you gonna go up against any other sort of faction besides Toughness Three with this? But that was the beauty of that roster was that you would only ever run it against Toughness Three factions. Yeah. Um, so you're going with the Blood Angels. You get the plus one on the wound roll. Mm-hmm. You're already strength four, so you're gonna be wounding on threes. Blood Angels make it wounding on twos. Yeah, even the volume of attacks is tremendous, so it's defeating things like. Harlequin four up invuln in the fight phase, um, Tricari, uh, shenanigans. Mm-hmm. I guess I should say, um, yeah. No, it was definitely tailor built for uh, what it did. Yeah, and uh, it was it was really good against. It would have been great against Gene Steeler Cult. I played it against Matt Howell yeah. when he was prepping Gene Steeler Cult and did pretty well. I won that game. It would have been great against Demons if I had to play them. 
uh, Harlequins. Like you played Harlequins and won with that list. And it worked spectacularly. Yeah. Um, Drakari was the big one. I probably played like seven or eight Drakari players uh, before the tournament with this list, and I went undefeated against Drakari. Um, uh, if like a, like a orc boy evil sons like that's not t3 it's t4 but with six up saves uh they they do really well against yeah. that yeah orcs um, die really well they do yeah <laughs> um basically any t3 other than uh sisters of silence and um Asriani. yeah and Asriani because they have so many power weapons that the storm shields just they do so much work. Yes, you would rather be running the Black Templars against yeah. them. And I did that against Alex uh, Ritnarak in our in our game in uh, top sixteen, and it and it was really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sisters of Silence because everybody has a three up save, so I don't right. want to bargain too much against three up saves. Most T three have bad saves. Yeah, um, that's just the reality of it. Uh, and if I saw Sisters a battle player that was. Like not there was for some reason running a lot of like battle sisters and not arcos. Then I guess in that situation I would take Templars. But most sisters as battle players that are going to be like playing it optimally are going to have a lot of arcos. Yeah. So again, that's uh, that's Blood Angels for me. Yeah. Um, I think there's too many people though that that look at this game and look at models like they'll see a model that isn't useful in a lot of occasions. And instead of saying, when is this good? They say, this is never good. Like yeah. a perfect example for me is like a reaver. Like I, that my blood angels had yeah. a reaver sergeant and he had four attacks. He's got two wounds. He's, uh, I mean, he, I'm, with the blood angels team, he's wounding on twos against everything that I'm taking him against. Yeah. I can use him for battle brothers. Um, he was, and he has like the leadership things too, which are pretty useful against these chaff models. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found a situation where that model was really effective for me. Yeah. Um, even though, I mean, you look on any discussion about Reavers and it's their trash. Don't ever use them. Yeah. It's like there, there are times when you can use almost anything. There, there's almost, I will guarantee there's very, very few like truly useless models in Kill Team. Yeah. Like there's just, you just need to find the situations for them. Mm-hmm. How would you, I guess this kind of goes hand in hand with like prepping for your matches this tournament considering that it was like this was like a two months long tournament where (laughs) every week you were playing a game or multiple games Mm -hmm. um so let's talk about how you would basically like muster your kill team during the tournament and it's not it's not like you had 15 minutes to choose what models you were going to take I had it like a week because you had a, you had a week to like <laughs> yeah. study, look at your opponent's command roster, all that other stuff, and then decide what you would be want, what you would you would take. Mm-hmm. Was there kind of like, I guess, like set kill teams that you would that you found yourself bringing more and more, or was it more of like a ad hoc? Almost every single time the kill team was different, even if it was like a slight difference. Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite was the uh the two grav guns two storm shields intercessor sarge and then the leader um also you could do instead of the intercessor sarge the zealot because he would have been one point cheaper but uh that was the team that where i wasn't dropping a body i was just changing what i was taking and it would let me get three cp at turn one a lot of the time that one i found to be really effective um and the reason for that was because it was clocking in at like 113, 114 yeah. points. Your yeah. opponent, more often than not, is going at the full 125. Yep. So you're more, you're 10 or more points below. So you're picking up that extra CP. Yeah. Which is important because 
Astartes starting off the game with three CP means they're starting off with Death Denied in yep. their back pocket, and we'll get more into that later, but continue. Yeah, Death Denied first turn was huge. Um, but yeah, I uh, it's funny enough because the list basically started with, you know, four Storm Shields, Intercessor Sergeant, Stern Guard Sergeant, um, but I, until the finals, I don't think I ever took all four Storm Shields, um, and I lost that game. So... I mean, I was always taking a grav gun or two, um, and then in in the psyker matchups, I took four grav guns. Um, you know, actually thinking about it, I may have taken four storm shields in my game against Skinner. Maybe, yeah, I did, actually. So that that was actually the other time I took four storm shields because. Uh, so what was he running that made you want to take four storm shields in that uh, instance? He was also running four storm shields. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's the reason. Yeah. He had a lot of plasma with his dark angels. Right. And I kind of forgot about that one because we were just kind of bumping into each other until the game ended. That was there was yes, very that few was things how died. that game happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I really <laughs> found myself liking the grav guns more and more. Um, uh, I was thinking I would take four grav guns against Necrons and. I think I did. No, I didn't. I did not do that. Um, but if I had to play like Paul, for instance, and his Lich Guard spam, I would have gone four uh, grav guns there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the really, it was just it was the story of throughout the tournament, I just fell more and more in love with grav guns because they're like so cheap. Yeah, and they're, they're just they're so such an cost economy efficient. model. Yeah, right. What is it? It's a company that. And then they have the grab guns, so they're coming in at like 15 points or 15 something. Points, 15 points, and you get the points. free chain sword. Yeah, so they're tremendous flex models for the faction. Yeah. I loved them against Necrons because they can snipe the Lich Guards pretty effectively, and if they get in combat with a Flayed One, they can actually like potentially kill it. Yeah. Because three attacks of the chain sword, I mean, if you if, if you get if you force a Flayed One to make two armor saves, they're probably going to fail one, even yeah. if there's zero IP. So, and it's one damage. So. Yeah. Yeah. Real nice. If I haven't said it already, I'll say it now. We're going to have the list either in the description or somewhere else where you guys will uh, be able to find it so you'll be able to follow along with this conversation. Okay, so basically your the way that you mustered your kill team, you just had you just had like the time to look at what your opponent's roster was and you were pretty good at figuring out what exactly they would be bringing against your team so would you say you would be able to like effectively counter it or make make the most effective kind of like roster against whatever kill team you were facing in that instance yeah most of the time people took either what i thought they would take or they would take something maybe a little bit worse um yeah and i think just when you're prepping as long as you have the right idea of what their general play style is going to be um and then you just look at their roster and say okay what's the most optimal thing um, and I build that team and I like look at what they can do against me and then I build against that. So that way if they if they take something else, then it's like, okay, this is fine because I don't think this is as scary to me as the other thing. Like mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, I was a little bit worried that Alex might take the um, Alex Rutten Eric might take the like the platform, the weapon platform the for heavy instance. Weapon platform, yeah. Because it would have been you know some pretty scary shots on me the star cannon uh if i like it was just like another armor save i could fail before i get in um but he ended up not taking it so it was something i didn't have to worry about uh 
and honestly, it was a lot of it had to do with you know the week's worth of prep. Um, you have more time to figure that stuff out. Um, and I know a lot. Most of the people I played against were prepping too. Like I, yeah. I don't think it was just I was the only one doing it. But um, if you can like kind of semi accurately predict what they're going to take, uh, then then you're you're generally on the right path. Yeah. To to just like countering that team with what you have available. Yeah. Did you find that it was it was more it was more important to know your opponent's play style or more important to uh, look at their roster, I guess. I mean, I know the two go hand in hand, but, like, what do you think gave you more of a leg up? Oh, that's a tough was one. Was it player knowledge or was it roster knowledge? I had to think about that. I think there were instances where I really didn't know how to read how the player was going to play. Right. Like, with James Skinner, I didn't know how he was going to play Dark Angels. I really don't. I don't know much about Dark yeah. Angels for starters. Yeah, right. But uh, I don't know that much about James Skinner's play style. He's mainly a Thousand Sons guy, and I haven't even watched him play that very often. So, mm-hmm. or at least I hadn't up until at, at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ash with Thousand Sons. I really don't know her play style too well, but I so I just kind of went off what I think like an optimal Thousand Sons player would do. Um, so yeah, I mean, but then against Micro and against uh, Alex, I kind of have a general idea of how they play in addition to what they're going to bring. Um, so I guess, yeah, you're kind of right. Those do go hand in hand. Um, like, I didn't see Micro mixing up his team or throwing me for a loop at all. Mm-hmm. He has things that he thinks are optimal, and that's usually what he sticks to. Yeah. Um, and Alex, he just plays super aggro. I mean, he didn't take that that weapon platform, but uh, that was the only shock, really. I mean, I figured he would try and play super aggro, and I knew that would just kind of play into the the Templars play mm-hmm. style a little bit better. So looking at the BAO packet and the, the secondary objectives, um, how did you go about selecting them? Did you plan on taking a specific set kind of when you were also constructing your roster? Were you looking at the secondaries and going, okay, I'm going to take these models because they are good at scoring these secondary objectives? Um, or did like, were you going to be taking a specific set that hardly ever changed, or was it more like an ad hoc approach determined by the opponent that you were facing? Uh, so a lot of stuff in that question. Yeah, no, no. I'll I'll try to tackle it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when I was choosing a faction for BAO, so like the earliest stages of prep, um, I was narrowing it down to factions that I think can actually score some of these secondaries because of course they're a little bit harder to score than than like what we were seeing on LVO. Um, so with that said, it was it was a lot of uh, okay. I'm looking at bounty hunters and I'm looking at obliteration. Those are the two ones that I was taking the most time to consider mm-hmm. um, because they seem the most attainable. Yeah. So bounty hunters, you're just melee, killing a model yeah. <laughs> in, in melee, or you're just killing a model yeah. and then you're just getting on the point to pick up the token. Well, yeah, but especially for melee because you know you kill it and you consolidate right onto it and then you get exactly it, and that's all. Yeah. Um, so that was an almost. I think I took it every single game. Maybe not against Skinner. No, I didn't take it against Skinner because I didn't expect to kill things. Yeah. But um, so many storm shields. Yeah. Uh, but every other game I took it because I expected to kill. Yeah. And I uh, usually maxed it. It was the easiest one to get. Mm-hmm. And there's obliteration, which was just about as easy to get. But there was like always the possibility that I could roll like a one on the D three. Yeah. Because everything's D three damage. But um, I still I think I I usually got it. I never like ended up whiffing that much on it. 
Yeah. Um, and then the third one would be totally based on the map I was on in, in combination with the faction I was playing against. So a lot of the times domination was a really good one because there was objectives in the middle. So I could just run my guys onto those objectives, kill anything that came near me, and then get domination and hold the objective. So it was like a triple whammy kind of. Yeah. Um, some of the maps, even with a, like a six-man team, data recovery was the best. Uh, like those mission one. Yeah. Um, on generatorium, like there's like corridors and like they're on opposite sides and there's big walls in the middle. So like it's really hard to deny data recovery on that map. So I would take that there. Um, and then uh, like I, I, in the last game of the tournament, I took Reaper, which was, <laughs> yeah. I know you guys had some choice words for that one, but it was, uh, you know, like I think I also took Reaper in group stage when I was playing against Death Guard because the guy ran Poxwalker spam against me. Ah, uh, okay. But, um, with a list that's entire objective is getting kills, um, I literally, it's like, if I can get, like, I looked at it kind of like the old thin their ranks secondary. Right. So it's get two kills in a, in a battle round and then you score a point. But I was like, well, it's a little bit harder to get diced on this one because what if I score, or if I kill three in one round and then one in another? With Thin Their Ranks, I wouldn't get that. But with Reaper, it still gets towards that thing. And I would have gotten Reaper that game if it if, if it went the final round. Um, uh, really, it was just looking at the, the matchups, like if I didn't think I could get kills, which is pretty rare with that team. But like again, with, with James and, and his Storm Shields, I, I didn't expect to kill anything. So I didn't take kill secondaries there. Um, I uh, So then I would go pure positional and just with the idea of these guys are really sturdy, it's hard to kill them, I'll just plant them somewhere and hopefully I will, uh, I'll score those positionals because you won't be able to take me off the board. Mm. Um, but it wasn't as easy to do that in this packet because, you know, the positionals are a little more difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, past that, though... Um, yeah, I mean, it, the maps had a big part to do with it. The yeah. maps and deployments sometimes said, you got to do this. Yeah. So. And then your your secondary choices, you never ran up against Custodes, did you, in this tournament? I did not. Yeah, so they, did. they probably would have drastically changed if you had to, right? You probably would have gone more positional yeah. oh, than yeah. killing, It would have been kind of like my game against James. It would have been pure positional with... Uh, right. I can't remember what I ended up... I, I took Engineer and Data Recovery against him, mm -hmm. and Domination. Those are the three I took. Against right. Custodes, I'm, yeah, maybe on certain maps I would have done the same things. Uh, maybe I would have tried to hold the perimeter, but yeah, it's it's all it's all map based, really. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about how your kill teams operated in the kill zone. So, um, what tactics did you use every game? And then what did you have to be cognizant of whenever you were moving your models? Because there is a lot of synergy at play with two tactics, yeah. Theft and I and Battle Brothers, and then the models that you're taking and how they all, how, the, how this machine basically works. Yeah, so basically the whole theory behind my, my movement with the Templars was uh, I'm going to advance up the Storm Shields, turn one, and... Uh, like if I have four storm shields and maybe I'll leave one kind of staggered a little bit back 
the idea being, uh, and then the intercessor would also be staggered back with the leader. Right. Um, with the idea being, if turn two I lose initiative and I get charged, then I can at least counter charge. You have a counter charge, right? Uh, yeah. And then with uh, the intercessor sergeant, I would always try to. So what I would do, like in uh, in the game against Micro, for example, the last game, I put one of the storm shields in a place on an objective where I knew he was going to be taking shots, and. I made sure to put the intercessor within three inches, like around a corner out of the firing lane. Right. So that way um, I could use Battle Brothers, which is basically savior protocols for Space Marines for yeah. SCP. So, like, I fail a save with a one wound guy and I can spend Battle Brothers and pass it on to the two wound intercessor. So mm-hmm. nobody dies. He just goes down to one wound. It's like a really, like, why reroll when you can just know for a fact that you're going to be fine? Yeah. You know? And it's still the same point cost as a reroll at yes. one CP. Yeah, very good tactic. Um, and then obviously, death deny, like you said, was a huge thing. Um, weirdly enough, it didn't play much of a part in the finals at all. Um, yeah, though, I mean the threat of it did, but it never really ended up having to use it. I don't think. Yeah, and I've got I have a theory about that that we'll get into in a second, or actually, I guess that's coming up right now. Um, but basically, like um, back to my question before, your your blood angels, if you ever. If you ever were to run it in the tournament, it kind of would have worked the same way. Yeah. Right? Because you have the Intercessor Reaver, you have the Intercessor Sergeant. Or, yeah, yeah, the Reaver Sergeant and the Intercessor Reaver Sergeant. Reaver Sergeant and the Intercessor Sergeant. And then um, they would basically just, like, stick within three inches of your one your one wound guys. Yeah. You can pass off the wounds to them. Or even, uh, I mean, the, honestly, the Blood Angels utilizes uh, Black... Uh, battle brothers uh, a lot better because you've got first of all yeah like you said two primaris and also if that isn't an option and it's like a guy that you want to keep alive there's also two scouts who can eat a battle brothers and you can just kind of hope that the injury roll fails because at the end of the day you'd rather a scout die than like your vanguard sergeant who's got a relic blade right so yeah what what i found myself doing when i played the before i played my uh, game with the Blood Angels against Harlequins was I went through that list and I noted in terms of priority which models I wanted to keep alive the most just so I would know in what instances to be using Battle Brothers. So yeah. like at the very top of that list was the uh, was the Vanguard veteran with the Relic Blade. Yeah, because he's the only of... guy with a multi-damaged weapon. Right, right. And then probably that Zealot or maybe the Sniper would be like right after yeah. that. Yeah, those are, those are pretty... St- tough models um well strong models that that you want to keep alive how did you play against psychers with this roster because you because like what you're describing is it's a it's a couple multi-wound models and a lot of single wound models so and so, i mean some cases very expensive single wound models like for guys with storm shields um so it, as an Astartes player, I've found the best way to counter psychers is to take things like rocket launchers and like uh, like Primaris eliminators with their uh, las guns or whatever they have. Oh, the fusils, yeah. The las fusils, yeah. And then just a bunch of like other Primaris guys and hope that their strength four AP one bolt rifles like inflict some damage before they get on top of you. So how did you, with your Black Templars, with your blood? with your blood angels um, go up against a thousand suns twice and, and come out on top. 
yeah, so I was really worried when I saw that I had to play Thousand Suns in group stage. And that was my first game of the tournament, actually. It was against Tim, who, um, I mean, I was worried because I played against him when he was prepping uh, with Death Guard before he decided to play Thousand Suns. So Tim had actually played against my Black Templars with another faction, but I didn't get to play against his Thousand Sons before the tournament with my Templars. Okay. So he kind of knew what to expect against me um, a little bit, but uh, I I didn't really know exactly how he was going to play it. Um, so the idea is, like, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, well, I want to uh, I want to have Primaris guys eat Cybolts because uh, they're two wounds, and my best shooting on the on the roster is grav guns, which is our, which are on the Black Templar side. Yeah. The issue with this plan is I've only got a single Primaris on the Templar side, and that's the Intercessor Sergeant with the Power Fist. So, the idea that I basically came up with was to run a mutt list and to take the two Primaris from the Blood Angels side, and basically have them stand in front of the four grav guns because that's my best option to snipe out like psychers because i mean with in the case of thousand suns and um uh gray knights those guys are three up saves so they get melted by grab guns um and i would just keep the uh i would basically have two groups of um there'd be one intercessor sergeant standing in front of two grav guns in one firing lane and then the reaver sergeant standing in front of the other two grav guns in another firing lane kind of just marching up the board um and I would hope so I basically when you play like this you're on a timer uh, right. it's like okay like the intercessor and the reaver they might die but that's okay as long as by the time they're gone the grav guns have taken out the sorcerers mm-hmm. um, and in both games they did um, which was uh, it was scary because it could have it was a bit dicey like it could have yeah. gone against me it ended up going for me Um especially in the in the deployment against ash i think that that really did not favor me that much um it could have gone poorly like really quickly yeah was that when you and i did the the prep yeah. the prep games for that yeah. yeah and you were killing me in those prep games with thousand times yeah so i just could not we, figure we did, it out <laughs> we did not expect uh yeah um and then victory there and then against tim tim like really threw me for a loop because he had a veteran warp flamer, which I love that in theory because, like, you advance up and then you're ready. Yeah. But what he did was he advanced up and then he charged with the warp flamer into, like, three of my grav guns. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, that's interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting. Yeah, um, it is interesting. So, I mean, that's like my main shooters can't shoot this, yeah. this first round. Um, fortunately, I was still able to. Uh, I. The grav guns were in the back in deployment, so I was able to charge with the Primaris and put them like in front. Okay. Um, but still in combat. Right. And uh, I mean, I cut through that warp flamer really quick in melee. Oh, I bet. But I um, mean, you've got yeah. three guys with chain swords yes. plus the Primaris with the power fist. Yeah. And then the uh, the trusty the one grav gun that didn't get locked up was my my trusty sniper grav gun. Oh. And that was the one guy who on turn one sniped out his aspiring sorcerer. Mm. So that really saved my game. Um, and then against Ash, funny enough, it wasn't the grav gun that killed her aspiring sorcerer. It was uh, my special issue bolt gun and stern guard leader. That's because right. He I would always take him in the matchup too because he's got an AP two bolt gun basically. Thirty inch range. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, it, it did work. The Primaris guys usually died, but, you know, they did their job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I, I think I told you that it's, like, the most grim, dark thing for those guys. Oh, for sure. Because they, they know that they have to die in order for the teams to succeed here, and there's nothing they can do oh, about yeah. it. For sure. It's very, like, thematic. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you take models from both both lists, if that's the most optimal thing, and you say, okay, forget the sub-faction. Uh, because it's better to have a, an optimal list than to get a, than the like sub faction bonus. Yeah, especially because for me the sub faction bonuses were like very melee centric. Yeah, and in that game, that's not my win condition. No. Is getting into melee. It's it's shooting the sorcerers. So mm-hmm. I don't need either of those sub faction bonuses. They're not really doing anything for me. Yeah, that's something that I don't think we've seen people do since elites. At mm-hmm. least do it effectively is just forego the sub faction bonus yeah. like a lot of people Beernid was doing it too need... like right at the same time as me like we oh, kind of like okay. came up with that idea at the same time um yeah. and he ended up doing it in like a lot of his games but he was saying that it was because he didn't like his roster like he wished oh okay. it didn't feel like he kept putting himself in these positions where he felt like the best thing to do was to uh just run a mutt list most of the time mm. okay so um you and I and a lot of other people have said before that we think that Death Denied is overpowered, even at 3 CP. And at, at least it's overpowered in the killed hold, specifically speaking, mm-hmm. BAO format. However, there were a few moments in the BATS finals in your best of three series with Micro to uh, determine the champion. Uh, where using Def Deny was a big risk for you or where it was even preferable to use other tactics instead. Mm. Um, do you think that Heretic Astartes and their Corn Berserkers diminish Def Deny's overall effectiveness? And then do you think that Heretic Astartes are a boogeyman for Adeptus Astartes because of that? Uh, I don't know so much if Heretic specifically diminishes Death Denied. I think death denied still gave micro a hard time even when i wasn't using it because i mean there were times when he thought about decisive striking and he said out loud he's like oh you're just gonna death deny and then he didn't when i mean still he probably should have because you you just need to kill me twice that's basically what death denies yeah. says. like it's not enough to to kill my guy once you need to kill him twice yeah and corn berserkers they fight twice so yeah. so i guess yeah there is an argument to be made that that heretic astartes just through sheer volume of attacks um, are a pretty good matchup for, for my Templars, for the Storm Shields. Um, and I, I do think so. I think that they're one of the hardest things that I have to play against. I don't think it's an easy matchup for Heretics so much as it's, as far as matchups go for, for that team, for my Templars, that's one of the hardest ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that goes to show how strong that team is because it was still probably overall slightly better for the Templars in the matchup. But um like even with that in, in mind, it's one of the things I had to worry about the most. So we've talked about how you ran your roster, how you face off against psychers, F deny. So if you don't mind, let's go through and basically just like recap uh your best of three series against Micro as best as you can from memory of course. Um, for anyone listening, these three games where they were streamed over on our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash command point, and they are going to be uploaded onto our YouTube channel, command point. Um, 
the first two games are already up there at the time of this recording by the end of this week I believe I think I'm going to have the third one out before we release this episode yeah probably yeah so um uh let's just go into um uh top of game one um so I wanted so in game one we were on that map with uh uh, it was mission one on Garrison Vault, so it's the map where you can really easily get trapped in your deployment zone. That's what happened against Skinner. I played on this map already and almost lost. Um, so I didn't hate it, though, because there's only four objectives, and uh, I can very easily, um, at least in theory, I can I can very easily flood the middle of the board with Storm Shields, and usually in, in a pit like that, the Templars are going to come out on top. Um, there was a couple issues that happened and there was one blunder that I made in this game that ended up causing me to lose it uh, for starters um, it did suck that I went first that was not a good thing but no. it ended up not being a big deal because his shooting didn't end up killing me round one it was actually a pretty good round one the big issue was that he went first or that uh, I went first round two but he um, decisive moved and I didn't contest it because I had death deny in, the, in my pocket and his decisive move ended up locking two of my guys, my frontmost guys, in place uh, with a charge. And that caused me to not be able to move further into the board. Um, so I responded by just kind of doubling down on that spot and countercharging that one guy with, like, three guys. Yeah. Um, so he was basically in combat with five dudes. Um, but what ended up happening was Micro countercharged with... Uh, all of his berserkers and I th he got in with every one of them he didn't fail a yeah. single one um which to be fair he's re-rolling charges but some of those were were like eight or nine inches like maybe like one of them would fail but it just didn't work out yeah um and uh the big mistake i made was when i was countercharging um his decisive move i moved my leader onto that objective uh when in reality what i should have done was move him down into the bottom hallway um i don't know what perspective the i think from the stream's perspective it would be the north side or the the top yeah okay so that north hallway then i should have moved my leader up into that north hallway not onto that point at the end yeah but just facing it because he was going to move cultists onto that point and i could have gotten shots on them so that could have got me some some free kills but more importantly, it wouldn't have put my leader in danger because there was no way a berserker could have gotten to me over there. Yeah. And even if one tried to, it just would have been pulling a berserker away from that clog in the middle, which would have been great for me. Um, instead, I put him on the point, and it was very easy for Micro to just move, after he was done charging, uh, move a flamer, another flamer, and a plasma, and point them all at my leader. Yeah. Who only has the, the special issue bolt gun. So he's only killing one guy max if he does kill anybody. Um. But yeah, I ended up putting him on my own objective, which was a, a blunder in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it would have changed anything with the way the dice went in those fights, but uh, he ended up killing my leader with the first flamer. He didn't even need to go to the plasma yeah. or the second flamer. So let's let's talk about that for a little bit because that was one of the instances where I where I was commentating it, and I and Birinid was convinced that you would have to death deny in order to keep your leader alive because his thinking was he has to keep his leader alive otherwise he's not going to have death deny for the remainder of this game mm -hmm. and my line of thinking was well 
He's got all four of his Storm Shield guys in combat with these Berserkers coming up soon. He still has that. He still has those three CP, and there's another Flamer and a Plasma Gun pointed at his leader. And his leader, like like you said, is only going to be able to like do one thing and shoot a single target. So, yeah, was that your line of thinking when you chose to not death deny with your leader? Basically, that's basically it. Uh, like if it had been both flamers failed and then the plasma took him out, maybe then I would have I would have death denied. Right. But um, the way it was, it was the very first flamer that that shot ended up killing him, which was pretty statistically unlikely. Um. But I knew that if I if I used Death Deny, I would be down three CP, and then he would almost definitely kill me right after with the plasma or the other flamer. Yeah, the, it was just very bad odds. Um, and then going into turn two, you would only get one CP back. Yeah, yeah. You would have one CP, whereas this way I could at least go into that fight phase with three CP. Right. And I knew I'd probably need it. Uh, I ended up using it on the intercessor sergeant who died later anyway so uh yeah it was i i didn't use it i let the leader die i said my i thought my win condition was these storm shields so i'm just gonna need to hope that you know my saves are good enough and that i can get by with my one point for the rest of the game uh but the the storm shields failed me big time in that fight phase um and and micro made a couple six up saves and it was it just got really ugly really fast yeah um in a way, I'm kind of glad that it went like that rather than a slow death because I think uh, in general it would have been it would have been a little more harmful like mentally for me to go into game two after like losing out like that rather than like right. a quick you know it was a quick near, painless it was a, it was a quick painless yeah I don't know about painless but well, near yeah. near tabling yeah I think you had one model remaining after that fight phase yeah Is that like, correct and I had three after the round two fight phase but then after round three. Um, I called it because uh, everybody had a flesh wound, so I was broken. So right. my power fist would be hitting on fives, and I only had three guys left. And it was just I, I had like he had made like two six up saves in that third round, or I had whiffed with somebody, and it was just like I there was it yeah. was very unlikely I was going to come back. So I right. said let's let's wipe it and uh, let's just re rack and go to game two, right? Which I think was the the good the best thing to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you if you said what secondaries you would take in that first round, but you would take in domination as one of your yeah as it one was, of your secondaries. Yeah, bounty obliterate, which I took bounty and obliterate every game in the series, and then uh, domination was the third. Yeah, so that's why all those models were basically headed towards the middle. Yeah, essentially. I also yeah, I was thinking maybe if I pitted the leader onto that objective, I would give him like the false sense that I had taken data recovery. Um. But, yeah, right. it didn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, so this is when, I guess, the game, either inside or outside of the game, kind of starts to take place for you. Because it's a very interesting story. Game one, you had brought in all four of your Storm Shield guys. You brought in that Templar's roster mm -hmm. because it was almost you wanted to see how it would go almost and it's like yeah. if i'm going to experiment with this let's do it game one that way it poses the least amount of risk to me mm -hmm. and i knew he was a bit like four storm shields was something that he was not excited to play against right so i thought maybe i have a little bit of a mental edge um doing that but yeah i, I yeah that was basically uh, the thought process, and and if I wanted to take this risk because I I didn't know for sure if it was the most optimal, 
but I wanted to see. Um, but if I'm going to take any risks, it's game one. That's right. when you got to do it. And then, so going into round two, you take kind of a you, you take a different approach to your mustering. You take instead uh, two grav gunners, sniper and demo spec, mm-hmm. and then you bring the two storm shields, intercessor, and then the um, intercessor sergeant, and then the um, the stern guard sergeant leader. Yeah, so those six guys. So those guys clock in at 113 points. Yeah, that's the team that I was talking about earlier that uh, that usually gets me three. Um, I had half expected him to go into game one down a cultist to try and stop me from getting three. Right, but when because... I yeah, because he knows that I do that. I think at least I'm pretty sure he he yeah. knew that I well, knew that's I had what, done that. That's what happened in my game with him. Yeah, that was too. you and I talked back and forth, and so I that's what I decided was to bring the 113 point man roster, white scars, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but same loadouts. Same models. Yeah. So um, I, I assumed that he would drop a cultist game one in anticipation for that, but I saw that he didn't. So I thought, okay, I think I can actually get away with this game two, and I did. Uh, he had brought the 125 points again. So I ran that team, and I started with three. Um, and that was a really great map to do that on because there's not a lot of action turn one on that map. This yeah. was the other. This was generatorium mission one, so the one where you can take data recovery really easily. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so because there was not a lot of action and, and the fact that I started with three, I went into turn two with five CP, and that was huge. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, go ahead with your question. I don't know. You, you... Yeah, so um, I guess it's kind of like not really a question. It's more just like highlighting it because like there is kind of like a side story that goes along with the regular gameplay mm-hmm. that happened in the mustering phase. Yeah, and so like I guess we can touch back on that at the top of turn three when we get into it. But l- let's talk about turn two, and, or uh, game, game two, two yeah. and how that went. Uh, yeah, game two. So I again I took bounty and obliterate. That's just really obvious in the matchup because I my odds of killing anything on his team are like really high. Um, Berserkers are like they go down as easily as cultists basically against uh, these these storm shield guys. Um, and then I took data recovery because it's really easy on that map. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up going uh, da- pure positional, which I actually think was what he should have been doing the whole series. Um, he took data recovery, engineer, which is really obvious. If I had more bodies, I would have taken an engineer, but I, I can't really afford it with six models. Um, but yeah, uh, he took engineer, which he put on a cultist, obviously. Uh, data recovery, which is a good combination on that map. And then his third was Domination. Um, Domination ended up going really poorly for him for a few reasons. I don't think it was like a bad choice from him at all. Uh, basically, we we move our uh, turn one, and um, he gets kind of a poor advance on his uh, Berserker champion. So he ends up like right kind of in that hallway in the middle. Yeah. Um, and uh, But he makes a mistake because he places his Berserker champion kind of in a spot where another 32 can't walk by him. Right. Uh, 32 mil base. Um, and so when turn two comes and uh, he tries to charge, he tries to make an 8-inch charge, or it might have been 9-inch charge, with the champion, he ends up failing both of them, which is he's not used to... I know he's not used to failing charges, especially even at 9 inches. Yeah, because um, you're re-rolling. Yeah. He, uh, he fails those charges... And he's suddenly put in a position where if he moves, I am pointing grav guns at him. Yeah. 
um, and they're, he's within nine inches of, the, of two grav guns. Uh, and if he um, and if he doesn't move because of the way that he placed that champion, that means his sniper uh, plasma can't walk down that hallway because that guy was behind him. Right. And his whole plan was to point his plasma at my grav guns and get in that shootout. Um, but yeah, um, I think even though if he did make that charge, I and and moved his plasma. No matter what, his plasma would have been within nine inches of my uh, grav guns, and I would have been shooting first. You would have been the first to shoot. Yeah. Um, and it would have been yeah. I think still think that would have gone pretty well for me. But fact of the matter is, he failed that charge. He said, "I can't move this guy because he's just going to die." Um, and uh, he basically set himself back a turn. Yeah. Uh, I also think it was a mistake to put the sniper going because there's two ways you can move your guys on that map you can either go down the hallway like around that kind of like the winding corridor yes or you can go out into the open spot where there's a um where you're looking down the hallways the middle hallways and there's an objective there um i think with gunners it's usually better to put them in that open spot um especially if it's not an assault gunner it's like a like a rapid fire Mm -hmm. um because it takes a little bit longer to get your your guy down that way um and I mean that's kind of like what we saw. Obviously, it went wrong in a different way, but uh, yeah, um, my my grav guns, both of them went into that bottom area, and uh, they did a lot of work. They killed a couple cultists. They ended up killing his uh, his berserker champion after it it failed another charge the next turn, mm-hmm. um, and he just wasn't able to get on domination like after round one. Yeah, because um, anytime you moved a guy into the middle, they were either getting shot by grav guns. Or they were getting killed by one of my power fist guys. So right. that worked out really well for me. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. In that matchup, you had taken two guys with power fists and storm shields instead of one guy with a power fist, another guy with a relic blade storm shield. Why was that? Uh, yeah, I was leaning slightly towards the, um, the power fist because... Uh, over the relic blade because I really wanted to wound on twos against um, berserkers. Against berserkers okay. because I was after that last game. I mean, I don't actually know if the math on it is any better offhand, but after the last game, I and this was a bit of a, like a knee jerk thing, but I failed so many three up storm shield saves, mm-hmm. and all I was thinking about was okay, wounding with a relic blade on a three. I'm like, I was thinking about how it could go wrong, so I'm right. like, okay, power fist. As long as I get one hit through, I'm probably going to wound. And he you, he shouldn't make a six-up save. He shouldn't. Micro makes a lot of six-up saves. He does but... make a lot of six He is the... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I think Sean, it was either Sean or Beer in a during commentary, said that they are the most disgustingly resilient uh, <laughs> berserkers yeah. in Kill Team. Yeah. Uh, I remember him saying that he got some pretty nice uh, saves against Janice, and I saw it happening against he you. He got fantastic saves against me yeah single model making three six up saves against grab guns and he did it a couple times against me although that wore off after the first game yeah uh yeah and after he lost all of his berserkers uh, i think round two or three he just called it yes um yeah and yeah i kind of made the comparison that uh losing all four of your berserkers as a heretic in like a 12-man list is like losing one of your custodies for custodians mm-hmm. or one of your custodians for custodies because like when you lose a custody they uh you probably lose the game 
that's a third of your team gone, but it's just not there. Um, for Berserker, it's actually like the same ratio. Uh, for Micro's team, it was a third of his team because he had 12 guys most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, losing those four Berserkers, the rest of his team can't do anything, really. They can't stack up in the matchup anymore. He right. needs those guys to uh, to get through. Mm-hmm. So now we go into game three. Mm-hmm. So you're mustering your guys, and oh yeah, previously it- <laughs> you had done... You had done form sword and shields like full 125 yeah. points, whatever. Next game you did 113 point roster, and so game three when you're mustering, what is it that you did? So before, after, at the end of game two, he asked me. He said, "How many points was that again?" I told him I was like it was 114. And so the second he asked that, I knew that he was going to drop a call test. So I knew there'd be no point in, in doing 113. So I, I take three storm shields, one grav gun. Uh, intercessor sergeant and stern guard sergeant leader and he like i thought he dropped a gra- uh he dropped a cultist right um so he basically did that for nothing but i mean his yeah. his thought was like i get it uh after that second game you kind of have to almost but i don't know it was it was kind of an easy he was call down for me. A, he was down a body for no reason basically is what happened yeah basically i mean he wasn't that upset about it when it happened but like yeah that's that is what happened yeah um, and then, yeah, game three was uh, mission two on garrison vault. So this was uh, the four objectives all in the middle of the board, and you're on the long edges, and you're, like, running at each other to get onto the objectives. Yeah, very scary deployment for you. Mm, a little bit, yeah, and it was also scary for him. I mean, for neither of us want to, like, we both do, but we both don't want to be running at each other. <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it feels like it's in your kill team's natures to do that. You yeah, know? I mean, right. Um, but that's basically what, what our with teams the way, do. With the way initiative works, it is pretty terrifying. Yeah. So the way I saw like, so game one, I had taken domination. Game two, I had taken data recovery. Game three, I'm looking at these objectives, and I'm basically thinking, um, I don't want to take any positional because we're going to be forced into fighting each other. So I just want to benefit out of that, like, that kind of bloodbath that's going to happen as much as possible. Right. So I went bounty, I went obliterate, same as the first two games, but my third was Reaper. Um, the reason for this was uh, game two, I had killed like four of his guys in a turn, basically, and they were like dropping really quick once we started to get in, and I was thinking about this, like uh, over like a four-game span, the odds are really good that I'm going to kill six. Um, I was basically killing six uh, on like a, on pace to kill six, like in three rounds most of the time right uh so that was pretty much a no-brainer to me um and which is hilarious because myself and sean thought that you had mispulled a secondary yeah no we didn't expect you to be taking reaper you know you think reaper you're like okay it's an auto take against like hordes if you're a killy team but like this is not that type of instance Mm -hmm. um yeah i know it was like i also didn't think you would expect me to take that so that was another thing. I mean, it ended up not really playing a part because... Yeah, it didn't because of how the game turned out. But yeah. Um, do go on. Basically, uh, I win initiative turn three, or game three, round one, which is terrible for me. Yeah. Um, I really would have liked to react to him. Um, I, I won initiative all three games, actually, which sucked. But I yeah, wanted to be able to... very yeah. hard... I wanted to let my bolt rifle intercessor, my special issue bulk on leader, and then my one grav gun react to his movements and maybe get pot shots off at, at uh, 
berserkers, but it just never happened. So I uh, I saw where his sniper was. It was kind of like in one of the corners. His that's his like main shooting threat. It was the sniper plasma. So I see where it is, and I just move all of my non storm shield guys into positions where there's just no way, no matter where he moves, he's going to be able to see them. And uh, I knew I wasn't going to be getting the best shots that way, but it was whatever. Um, they, they were all staggered behind anyway, so they would not be um, they would not be getting charged next turn in all likelihood, or at least that was my thought. Um, and uh, yeah, he, I move like that. I, I put a guy on one objective on the right side, um, standing on a uh, standing in the doorway, which we'll talk about later. And the other, I put two other storm shields up on the other objective, kind of near his door. Um, knowing that whoever won initiative next round was going to get some charges off, uh, no matter how it, it ended up going. Um, basically, uh, he moves. He doesn't do anything super aggressive, but he, you know, he does like this. He gets shots on me with his flamer, um, which I expected. And uh, at the end of the movement, he uses the terminal, and he uh, he rolls. He gets a four up to use the terminal, and he opts to try and close the door that my guy is standing on. So when this happens, you um, the door can't close, but the guy in the doorway could take a mortal wound. Um, he rolls a four up so that, so that he can use the terminal. He says he's going to try to close that door. Um, in this situation, I get to roll, and on a five up, the, nothing happens, and I deny it. Um, but if I fail, I then have to roll another die, and on a one, only a one, I take a mortal wound. All of these things happened, <laughs> and I yeah. took a mortal wound. It was... Yeah. I think it was like 93, 94% chance that that wasn't going to happen. I, uh, it must be somewhere around there. Yeah. I think, I think somebody said it was like an 8% chance of it happening. Yeah. So like a 92% chance that that 8% chance seems too high for me though. (laughs) Uh, very unlikely. I'm being honest. So he does that and, uh, I can't do anything about it. So I roll the injury roll. Thank God he doesn't die. He just takes a flesh wound. Yeah. I was immediately in a bad place after that happened. I got very tilted. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I tried my best to, to not let it infuriate me. Then, of course, his one flamer, uh, I fail an armor save against it, and I have to uh, spend another CP to. Uh, so I don't forget what my first CP was. It might have been I had to re-roll the injury roll. I think that might have been it. Yeah. The injury um, roll on the. Yeah, um, the guy that got caught in the doorway. Yeah, but either way, at the point when he shot his flamer at me, I had one command point left, and I failed an armor save against the flamer, and then I had to pass it off onto the intercessor with yeah, Battle Brothers. Right. Uh, what sucked about this was it made it so that turn two I was going to have only two CP, which means no death deny. Yeah, uh, and there was definitely going to be a lot of fighting turn two. You're right. And I knew that, so that hurt to have to do. Um. But yeah, I mean, it was annoying after all. And then, and then to add insult to injury, I get the one shot that I get is with my storm shield that I regular moved. I throw a crack grenade at his flamer, and he had actually kind of blundered here because he put his flamer within six inches of me because he didn't realize that I normal moved because I was normally advancing them. Right. Um, and the crack grenade, really good math against the uh, the call test. You hit on a three, you wound on a two, they don't get a save, and it's D three damage, which means you can get obliterate. Yeah, and all that happened, and I got three on the damage roll, so I roll three die, and I need a five because he was in an inch of uh, intervening terrain, and I don't get it, and I'm like, all right, well, 
Oh, that's what the other that's what the other right. CP was. Yeah, I now re-rolled. it's coming back to me. Yes. You re-rolled the three damage so injury roll. You rolled yeah. the max damage for your crack grenade. Yep. You spend the CP to re-roll an additional three die. You just need a five up. Yeah. I basically you need a single six five die. up on six die. Didn't you didn't it. get a one. Yeah. But then the door closed and caused a mortal wound. The yeah. odds yeah, this is where the odds came in. I think Sean said it was ninety one. I think it was 93. 93% odds of you killing that cultist, scoring obliterate, scoring... Kill more. Kill more. Kill yeah. one. Um, and it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. So, yeah, those two things happen, and it's I'm an extremely yeah. tilting situation. Yeah. I mean, some of the craziest dice you're ever going to see in that first round. Yeah. Um, so, in the end, nobody dies in the round. We both hold one. Um, it really... It, I, I think I positioned that first round really well and everything worked out really well for me but i got basically nothing out of it which sucked and then turn two i lose initiative and uh this is huge for for micro right Um, he basically so you know how i mentioned that i have those guys staggered back so that they can counter counter charging yeah Yeah. he ends up opening um a door uh in the middle and he needs an 11 to make like to get onto both of these guys with a single berserker and he gets the 11 yeah so he locks up my backline guys did he even have to reroll i don't know if he did i don't think he did um he locks up my backline guys who i was going to counter charge with which really sucks um and then he uh he charges the two berserkers or the two storm shields that are on the left side and uh and then he charges the berserker that's or he charges the storm shell on the right side all with berserkers so he's got uh, two berserkers fighting my two storm shields on the left, one berserker fighting my leader and my intercessor in the middle bottom, and then he's got one berserker on my one storm shield on the right. Um, and he is going to get to fight first with every one of them. Uh, so I know I'm in a position here where I'm like, I have to decisive strike. There's no other option for me. Yeah. So we, we get to the fight phase. I don't think anything happened this, in the shooting. Before we go into the fight phase, would this be... Would this be considered, in your mind, a worst-case scenario? Because um, outside looking in, it looked horrible. Yeah, it I, looks uh, like a very tough spot for you to be in. Yeah, I thought, yeah, this is a bad position. Yeah, I, I really did not like because all those here. berserkers are gonna like assuming you don't decisive um, strike. All those berserkers are going to be able to fight twice before you can even fight back. Yeah. And your guys have storm shields, but still the volume of attacks that they can put out is ridiculous and all your guys are only one model yeah i mean or one wound without a without a reroll i don't hate the odds of one storm shield surviving one berserker so that situation on the right didn't bother me too much and i knew in the middle the one guy on the two guys uh he i expected him to kill one of them but i didn't think he was going to kill both with just one damage weapons um even fighting twice so i i didn't think that that was going to go that bad for me i thought maybe he'll kill one which he ended up doing um, and on the left, I knew that if I was going to decisive strike anywhere, I was going to be there. So, oh, and there was another thing in the movement that, that actually sucked there. So I had one guy that I could move because everybody got locked up except for one guy. That's right. The company that with the grav gun. Yeah. The grav gun and the chainsword. And he's, uh, 10 inches away from well, a 10 inch charge away from one of the side hallways where there was a cultist, a single cultist on an objective. Yeah. So my thought process was if I can make this, um, and kill this guy, which a 10-inch charge re-rolling isn't that bad, right? No. Um, I make that all the time. And uh, <laughs> worst case scenario, though, I am I would fail it. 
uh, well, not actual worst case scenario, but in my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll fail it, but I'll, I'll walk into that side room and I'll be okay. Yeah. Um, Potentially get on the objective, contest it. Yeah. Or at least get out of line of sight, or at least get out of like hit line of sight of him. Right. Instead, um, what I, happened? I roll a seven, which isn't enough. And then I re-roll it into a two. And the problem Snake with this eyes. is taking the two, I was in range of his flamer still, even moving the max distance towards that cultist on the left. So I failed the charge. I couldn't shoot with the grav gun and he was going to have to eat a flamer. Um, and I'm pretty sure he, he didn't kill. He, I think he whiffed with the flamer. So it ended up being yeah. okay. But uh, that situation really sucked. Um, Anyway, so moving into the fight phase, I knew I had a decisive strike. So I do it on the left, and he contests me. And he wins it. Now, at this stage, he had three CP when he contested decisive strike. And in my mind, he blunders a little bit here. Because uh, the whole series, I was worried about him doing the uh, decisive strike into up and at him combo. Right. And uh, he decisive strikes, but he does it with his combat. And the problem with this is when you decisive strike with your combat, you can't up and at him uh, because it says when you fight with another model, spend one CP, and then you may fight with your combat. Yeah. So, so there's this chain you can do where yeah, he would have decisive been able to strike fight with one model, yeah. spend another CP, another mod, the, your combat spec mm-hmm. immediately fights. Yeah. So he would have been able to fight with two guys before my decisive strike went off. Right. But instead he fought with his combat, so he couldn't do that, um, and he ended up whiffing with his combat. So I get my decisive strike off, and I pick the relic blade, and my hope is I can kill his combat and the other guy, splitting the attacks two and one. Right. I end up killing his combat, which is a huge thing because that's his only multi damage, and uh, I whiff on the other guy. But still, this is a good position because that other guy now, even with two activations remaining, pretty unlikely to kill both of the guys, if any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that kill, and I'm like, okay, that's one berserker down. There's three left. I've still got all my guys. He uh, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, these dice have been terrible for me this game, um, especially after the door stuff and then the, the yeah. snake eyes charge and then failing a three damage injury roll. Yeah. And I'm my biggest hope as I'm thinking, I need a big turn. I need <laughs> some luck because honestly, even in game two, I don't think I had a lot of luck. I think it was just like it was things were working as expected. It wasn't like working above expectancy mm-hmm. um in game one it was pretty bad i failed a lot of storm shield saves yeah. so i'm thinking if i can have a turn with really good luck this would probably be the only turn in the whole series where i got really <laughs> really lucky um and sometimes you need a little bit of luck uh, oh for sure i think so far micro had had a bit more luck than me up until this point um he gets to fight with twice with the berserker on the left he gets to fight twice with the berserker in the middle and then he gets to fight twice with the berserker on the right and of all of those attacks, so this is uh, six series of attacks, so um, three, six, so 18 attacks that he puts through, he only kills my leader. Yeah. Uh, I make all of my storm shield saves. Uh, the only guy that drops is my leader, who, um, I mean, at, at that point, I'm like happy. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not that bothered by it because I, my storm shields are still alive, right? Yeah. And once he's gone through all his attacks, I get to fight back. So that's an insane amount of attacks. Yeah. Like <laughs> like the fact that only one model like was taken out of action or even wounded or flesh wounded or whatever yeah. is is pretty unreal. Um yeah. Uh and then on the left I kill his last berserker on the left side. On the right side I kill his berserker there. 
because the math is pretty good for me to kill his berserker anytime I get to fight them. Right. And then the intercessors they don't have him. any sort of invuln, all yeah. your guys have power weapons. Yeah, no, I cut I cut him up really easily. And then on the bottom, the intercessor actually uh, fails against his... Uh, he doesn't fail, but I just get a flesh wound on his berserker in the bottom middle. Right. And that's the one berserker that ends up... Oh, actually, no. I actually failed to kill his berserker on the right and the one in the middle, but I killed the one on the left. So yeah. he comes out of this round killing one. I killed two of his guys, so I get killed more. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like my, my even even when I got to fight, my my dice weren't amazing. It was really the saves where it really came in clutch. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I was I was pretty due for a round like that. I think. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. And uh, yeah, round three uh, happens, and he um, he makes another mistake in this round that I think could have cost him the game. He decisive moves um, so that he can uh, lock up my storm shield with a cultist. Yeah, I pointed that out during commentary. The only thing that I could have think of for the reason why he would have want to do that would be to attempt to score a vicious assault. But the thing with that line of thinking was all of his other models that could have made a charge, I believe at this point, were already we're already stuck in combat yeah he did end up getting vicious assault because of the decisive move but i think it it was like at a point it's like at what cost because yes he locks down my storm shields with cultists and he keeps his berserkers that are alive in combat but the way this happens in in practice is his cultists get to swing at me which is like hitting on fours winning on fives and then they yeah they just bounce off yeah they bounce off and then because i won initiative i get to fight first yeah so what happens is there's still the guy in the, alive in the middle. So for my movement phase after he does that decisive, um, and the, the issue with the decisive really is that it brings him down to one CP. Right. So I go up to one CP also because my leader died. So he could have decisive striked uncontested, but he decisive moved, so he didn't have that opportunity anymore. Um, when it's my turn to move, uh, I have the two storm shields alive on the left side, and I charge one of them down into the berserker that's alive in the middle bottom. Um, and then, of course, I've still got that other uh, storm shield, and I'm looking at my options, and I'm thinking, no matter what I do, I have to charge a flamer right now. And I mean, I'm relatively confident that I can survive a flamer, but it's still a chance for for something to go wrong. Yeah, flamers are scary for yeah. storm shields. And uh, ultimately, I said, okay, I'm going to charge a flamer. This is what's going to happen. I think the math is still good for me to live most of the time. But he ends up uh, getting me. I f- fail an armor save, and I think I re-roll it with my one CP, and then fail the re-roll, and then he gets me out of action. Yeah. And I, at that point, I was a little bit worried again. Yeah, because um, this is your this is your relic blade vanguard sergeant. This yeah. is your most efficient at killing yes. in close combat model on your roster. Yeah, and he was he was suddenly out. So at that point, I was like, okay, well, this isn't great. And then I look down at that grav gun that failed to charge before I rolled snake eyes, <laughs> and I say, "One more time." He's two inches closer than he yep. was last turn. So, uh, but yeah, so I declare that cultist again on the left side, thinking if I kill him, then that's a for sure hold one for me. Right. Um, and uh, I declare the charge, and he falls back. So it's now an eleven inch charge. Well, no, it was a ten inch charge, but he was exactly eleven away. Right. Um. And uh, he falls back. And I fail the first save, and then I make the second one, I think, with, with boxcars or something. So Yeah. Um, kind of went back around, and I get onto that guy, and uh, we go to the fight phase, and 
I uh, he gets to fight. Well, I get to fight first with my storm shield at the bottom that charged, and I kill that guy. And so that's then he's down to one berserker left, and then he fights with his cultist. It bounces off. Right. Uh, he fights with the other cultist. It bounces off. I fight with the grav gun guy who finally got in, and he cuts the cultist down with his chain sword, which yeah. is pretty. Uh, I think the math is pretty good on that. I mean, three attacks, hitting on threes, wounding on threes. He gets a six up save. The only dicey part was it was one damage, so it was a coin flip. Yeah, on the injury roll. Um, the funny thing is, in all likelihood, even if I flesh wounded him, he he would have ended up shaking almost certainly. Yeah, because it's a cultist. Yeah. Um, so I would have held that point in the left no matter what, I think. Uh, but after he, he fails, after all the charges are done, I get to fight first, and there's one berserker left in combat with my storm shield. Who Both of those guys are non-chargers, so I fight with the storm shield, and I kill the, the berserker. And that's his last berserker that's left. So at this point, even with my losses, um, what he has lost is far more significant. And he kind of wanted to call it there, and I said, "Well, hold on, like there's still like you're still gonna get hold more of this round, you know? Yeah. There's and, still a chance." Yeah, and then he says, "Well, hold on, I need a break." And I'm like, "All right, well, let's see how this goes." He fails his break test, which he his highest leadership at this point was seven because his champion died turn two. So I think he rolled like a nine or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, everybody shakes. He he doesn't pa- after his gunner fails, which was on like a four up, I think. Um, every cultist needed a one, yeah. and they all failed across the board. And he that was the point where he just called it, yeah, because it would have been I would have gone Reaper the next turn because I had five out at that point, and everybody was shaken. Um, it, it was it was pretty much over at yeah. that stage, and uh, that was it. Yeah, it was a crazy game three. That <laughs> was a crazy game three. It was a crazy series, and. Uh, once again, congratulations to you. Thank you. Definitely a, a well-deserved victory. It was a, yeah. it was an insane series. It was scary. I was definitely a bit worried for a while. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess there's like anything else you want to talk about your your tournament run or the finals or your roster or anything. Um, we can talk about that, or we can just wrap up this portion of the podcast and uh, get into the mailbag. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Uh, Do you think of anything? I think my most intense game was that game three of the tournament, easily. Uh, honorable mention to the game with James Skinner, which uh, I won 11-10, to 10, and I... The only reason that was close is because both of us just made so many mistakes in that game, <laughs> yeah. myself included. I really messed up a lot. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that the finals were about as exciting as anybody could have asked for. Yeah, Bernard um, was literally on his feet. I think I may have blown out some people's <laughs> eardrums. Yeah, uh, rip headphones users who um, had tuned into that stream. Because <laughs> I mean, like when those when all of those storm shields guys made all those saves, it was just like, like me, Sean, and Bernard were just like, "What? This is unreal!" It was amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the game. Go to our YouTube channel right now and watch it. It'll probably be up when you're listening. Um, yeah, I mean, Micro is an amazing player. I did not expect it to be easy by any means. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. We'll, uh, we'll take a quick break here, and then uh, when we come back, we'll start uh, opening the mailbag. All right, so we are back here and we are going to uh open up the uh the mailbag mailbag i feel like we need to get like a like a like a jingle or something yeah whenever we do the kind mailbags, of yeah kind of like um 
You remember Blue's Clues? Don't they do like <laughs> yeah, a song mail or time? something whenever they get mail? Yeah, mail, mail time. time. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh, I love the postal service. Yeah, man, we love. I that. I support them 100. percent Okay, so um, first question we have is from Clayton, aka Claypers on or Clay Pierce. Clay, Clay Percy. I don't know Clay what, what the last name is, but on, it's Clay. Yeah. Uh, obviously from our Discord, um, he asks. Uh, basically what to think about when mustering during a tournament so you have like that 15 minute period of time in a real world tournament um, where you are looking over your opponent's combat roster you're picking out what kill team you're going to field um, you're going to be picking your secondaries stuff like that so what do you what do yeah. you usually think about I mean I think it's important to like yeah, obviously so say you're in a real tournament you've got this short period of time where you're figuring out what well, not a, not a real gonna... tournament, just an in person well, yeah, yeah, tournament. You know what I mean. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've got the short period of time where like you're looking across and you're figuring out what faction you're playing against. Um, you got to figure out your secondaries. I mean, at this point, you, the secondaries should be like, you should just know them. You know, you should be able to to like you shouldn't be looking at the secondaries during mustering and being like, what does this do? Maybe this is good. Like, yeah. you should already know before the tournament even happens. Yeah. You should know what what secondaries in the packet your roster is going to be good at claiming at for sure yeah good at claiming um you want to look at the the main things you're looking at enemy faction deployment and where are the objectives and how many objectives so like if if there's objectives closer to you it might be a little bit safer to to take like for instance like a steadfast if there's like a deployment or an objective like really close to your deployment steadfast is suddenly like a really viable option but if all the objectives are like right in the middle of the board, don't take steadfast, right? Because you're yeah. going to be fighting over it the whole time. Like you could easily lose it because you know you rolled bad or something. Yeah. Um, just don't put yourself in those positions. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about it from like a BAO perspective, you know. Yeah. It's uh, it's different for like LVO because there's more options, so there might be like different and there's like a different terrain setup and, and stuff like that. I, I just just figure out. I mean, really, not just... I, I guess I glossed over one thing. Um, after you figure out what the faction is, uh, look at the roster, because your opponent should have a roster. Yeah, Like, obviously. on hand, like a physical one that they'll yeah. hand you and you can look at. Um, look at that. F try and figure... Like, if you don't know anything about this player and you're going in totally blind about them um, and looking at their roster, like, at the very least, you should be able to figure out their play style just from, like, the sub-faction that they're running. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I don't know. It's It's kind of a tough spot, but... Try and like look at their their models, figure out what their win condition probably is, and uh, just just try and keep that in mind when you're when you're picking your secondaries and, and your your team. Yeah. So do you think it's? I guess in this instance, it's kind of more about perspective. So from if I have fifteen minutes to <laughs> choose secondaries, dissect and try to guess what my opponent is going to be bringing. I'm more often going to be focused on just figuring out what I'm going to be bringing. Yeah. No, that's a thing, too. Because like, you can't really control what your opponent's going to be doing. No. Really. All you can do is muster the best force possible against, against that faction, and all you have to really go off of is the faction. There's 20 models on there. you got 15 minutes. You're not going to be able to know, okay, I know exactly what this guy is bringing, unless it's like... 
heretic Astartes on BAO or something. <laughs> you might have an idea. Yeah, there, there's a there's a few cases like custodes. Yeah, you know it's coming. Yeah, um, but like somebody pulls out like a Space Marine list, it's like, oh god, what it's am like, I playing against? Yeah. What is this? It, it's better to just focus on bringing a team that's going to score you the most points. Yeah, because that's what you can control. Yep. Uh, also, look and see if your opponent has like involves like if they brought a lot of storm shields or something yeah because cause that'll determine what types of weapons you're gonna yeah. want to be bringing there's another component to uh to clayton's question which is when are reserves good uh, so uh full stop not good on arena because <laughs> you literally cannot do it on arena that's <laughs> f tier that's, that's, that, that's the joke Hot um, take. <laughs> <laughs> um so on open, almost always, I think. Well, okay. If you have, like, a good shooting model, I think it's almost always good. Yeah, so um, I've had some success with Death Watch frag cannon gunners um, outflanking. Yep. Um, <laughs> six inches away from yeah. a uh, from a model. If, like, That's you're playing terrifying. a psychic faction, I think it's always good to put a psyker in reserve. Yeah. Uh, a psyker appearing in your back line is is horrifying yeah i mean like sean talked about this when we did the green knight deep dive but like <clears throat> the first thing that happens after a deep strike is psychic phase yeah there's like nothing your opponent can do about it other no. than try to screen you out mm-hmm. and uh another reason why it's good to use reserves is because your opponent they're either going to screen you out and prevent you from doing like the really nice thing or they're not and in both of these situations something good is happening so if they're screening you out then they're making moves that they don't want to make yeah, they're, not they're, being committing, a, yeah. they're committing models to <clears throat> points on the board where right. otherwise they could be claiming objectives, moving closer to your guys, yeah. setting up in good firing positions. Yeah, and if they don't, then you get to make the sick play and, and jump in their back line and blast them yeah, with whatever it is that you have. Michael Jordan Duncan, except yeah. it's a uh, a Tempestus Scion with a Melt-A-Gun. Yeah. Just um, blowing a hole in Yeah, and that's whatever. another thing. If you have a deep strike tactic, it's really good because they, it's really hard to screen that out. Yeah, especially a deep strike tactic on like a model with a gun, like the Scion that you're talking about. Right. Um, I uh, I mean I guess the most relevant thing right now that people are thinking about is LVO, and on that map, I think it's pretty good to use deep strikes even for the melee models because you can actually deep strike up on those big towers. Yeah. You know, like, and then you set up a really nice charge because even if there's somebody right at the foot of the tower, um, you're more than six inches away from them because those towers are, or more than five inches away from them because those towers are six inches high from the very top um and the charge for you is going to be like one or two inches yeah because you're just walking off you know um so that's pretty cool to think about uh i think reserves are awesome like i know i learned talking to like people on the west coast that uh us like east coast people at least us rochester people like you me sean ray like the people in our local meta right we use reserves a lot more than the west coast people do yeah um and i think that reserves are are huge so is there any faction that you really, I guess, wouldn't be looking at using reserves a lot? I mean, like you talked about if your faction has like has like a deep strike tactic. Yeah. Um, then there's going to be instances where that's good to use because it's so hard to screen out against it. But um, yeah, can you just think of any factions off the top of your head that you wouldn't want to be 
Um, I mean, I can't forced think to of use outflank if yeah. you were to reserve. Oh yeah, like when I play my my death skulls, like I'll I'll out like I don't have a deep strike tactic for my knobs, but I'll still put them in reserves. Uh, the guys with the scorches, right? Uh, because you know they can pop on the board, and if they're within eight inches of somebody, they can flame them, and that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of a faction where I would never do it. Like even like custodies, where I usually wouldn't, because mm-hmm. there's only like three of them. Like, I still think there's a time and place for that, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, they shoot good, so, yeah, they you know, they, well, yeah. they deep strike in, or, sorry, they outflank in, they're still going to be able to shoot something, and, you know, they're, like, hooding, hitting on two's base with their uh, halberds or whatever. Um, I mean, maybe, th- yeah, maybe, like, a full melee team that has good movement. Yeah, because you know, then it's like, why? Yeah. Um, the other thing to take into consideration with reserves is terrain. So if the terrain favors you in such a way that just models in your deployment zone have good line of sight on things like objectives or even like your opponent's deployment zone, certain avenues that they can approach from, um, just like shooting alleys, stuff like that, um, you can keep models in reserve, force your opponent to uh, try to screen you out, and then for the low, low price of zero CP, yeah. just bring in that reserve model into your own deployment zone. Yeah. And if there's like, uh, this doesn't really happen a lot, but if there's like a tower in your deployment zone, you can just put a primary, or I guess I probably wouldn't bring a primaris eliminator in, <laughs> in, reserve, in reserve because <laughs> of their, their abilities yeah. and everything. But just for the sake of this example, a uh, just some type of a model with a, uh, the suppressor yeah the, as long uh, as it's on a board edge yeah yeah um and i mean we're talking about using like reserves to like get shots off turn one right like on the flip side you can also use reserves to like like obviously there's the initiative problem where you um if you go first against a shooting team they get to react to how you uh, move and then shoot you like say you're the main say like here's like a good example like like if you're playing Necrons and like the flayed ones have the the deep strike tactic, yeah, and you're against like Admech plasma spam or something, you could put three flayed ones in reserve, and uh, even if you go first, that's still three flayed ones that you can put down after the Admech player moves. Yeah, that so you can't can get set shot. them up yeah. outside of line of sight stuff like that. Yeah. So that's reserves. Yeah. Um, this next question comes from uh, Micromancer. Funnily enough. Uh, he asks, and this is a, honestly a surprising question coming from him. Um, so his question was, um, how should he be prepping for long format tabletop simulator tournaments when he is when he often knows the match slash mission ahead of the ahead of the time of the actual game? So I guess like how should he be using that time to prep for the match? Um. Yeah, I mean, this goes for anybody. I'm sure Micro is, is doing a pretty good job prepping. Yeah, I mean, he came in uh, second. Uh, like. Yeah. <laughs> so the only time these are really going to happen, generally speaking, is Tabletop Simulator, right? So right. you can, what I was doing, like you can sad hammer full games, but I actually didn't find myself doing it that much because there's only so much that you can predict that your opponent will do. Yeah. And then eventually the dice are, are put you in such a specific situation that like the prep isn't even useful anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Like looking, like de- like going into that map with your team, the list that you want to bring, deploying, and then measuring from your deployment zone to see what movements you can make and like what you need to get onto a certain objective or like 
if putting your guys in a certain way can like really help you i think just practicing that turn one is like the biggest thing yeah that's what i've found too and then it's kind of like all the sad hammering after that you're kind of getting diminished returns yeah for sure on your time investment um and then instead of sand hammering if you're on our discord you can also hit up other players who play that faction yeah you can ask them hey you want to play a game uh you want to run my opponent's list against me before i had to play benji and his necrons i reached out to matt who has is a necron player and i asked him if he could like try and you know run benji's list against me and and try to like do something similar to what i like we thought he would do and that was really helpful yeah um yeah all right uh so this question comes from uh kill team dave on the discord why is the community not resistant to the 2019 annual changes? I'm paraphrasing here, but he's talking specifically about things like um, the intercessors losing an auspex, the uh, the Space Marine intercessors losing the ability to bring an auspex, and the orc choppas being uh, plus one points or increasing by one point in uh, in points cost. And then um, what's that third thing? The um, cast space marine, the yeah, no the, longer being allowed to be, take a combat specialist. Right, right. Uh, I mean, like you, you, I think you made a good point. Like the auspex thing seems like a misprint. Yeah. So I think the community is a bit resistant to that one. Um, oh yeah, I'm I'm yet to play a game or in a tournament where it's been ruled that an intercessor cannot take an auspex. Mm-hmm. Just because you look at the text. Yeah. It. It's, it's obvious that's a that it's a misprint. They just carried it over from core rulebook, yeah. and they didn't. They forgot about otherwise. Then the intercessors' grenade launchers are or sudden or suddenly have a thirty-inch range at <laughs> no at no long-range penalty. So yeah. I mean, um, the other. Uh, I mean, so okay. I guess we can just tackle all three. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that we should be resistant to the orc choppa changes because even if we disagree with them, unlike the Auspex thing, this feels deliberate. Yeah, you know, like it—it it feels like it was an intentional change. And at the end of the day, we're playing a Games Workshop game, and we, we should play by the rules. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that the Choppa change was all that warranted, but you know, what can you do? And uh, the Cast Space Marine one—that one kind of falls in the middle. It, it seems kind of weird to me that they took that off, but it's something that just doesn't come up, so nobody really cares. Yeah, I feel like the reason we haven't seen a lot of uproar about it, at least on, uh, on like in our community, is just because it's uh, it's suboptimal. Yeah. More often than not, to be running a regular Chaos Space Marine as a combat specialist when you have things like the corn berserkers yeah i mean maybe before Possessed. elites people were doing that sometimes but like not really yeah. anymore just because they didn't have a choice really yeah so yeah also like this overall for the better health of the game it's better for us to embrace the changes because kill team is a niche game of the big warhammer 40k yeah and so many changes happen in that game so fast and Kill Team is almost starved for change at this point. Yeah, we'll take anything we can get, yeah, <laughs> even if so it sucks. <laughs> for the health of the game, it's better not to like reject Games Workshop changes. All right, so uh, the last question we have for today's mailbag uh, comes from uh, our own our own uh, close friend, Ray. 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 Ray J. So he is asking about sub-faction-specific stratagems. 
So, of course, when he means stratagems, he's talking about tactics yeah. in Kill Team. Yeah, he's basically asking, like, should this be a thing? Like, Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be pretty cool. I would love it. I mean, that's like, so, like, at this point, the wish list is so long. It's so long. I mean, but this would be on there. I think it's, uh, it's kind of neat, the idea that you could, like, give, like, a really cool, like, um, tactic to one sub-faction specifically yeah. um, instead of the whole faction, whereas, like, you know, like, um, it might be a little bit broken if every sub-faction could take it, but, you know, on one, it might work. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, what if, like, only Space Wolves, for instance, could take Death Denied or something? I, like, I don't know, something like that, or, like, Angels of Death, that one, if, like, only Blood Angels could take that. Yeah. Um, not that these are, like, well... Yeah, not that Angels of Death is like a broken tactic right now, but like it would be kind of it's like yeah. an interesting thought experiment. Yeah, not really like, not really like taking tactics away from like the general pool of tactics that the factions already have, but but adding new tactics. Yeah, that could only be used by certain sub factions. Like with that balance in mind, yeah. I think it's kind of cool. So like in big Warhammer 40k, every army has their own codex. So, like, Space Wolves have their own set of tactics. Blood Angels have their own set of tactics. list goes on and on. Um, it would be great for the game just yeah, because so you're running a sub-faction. Now you get to do sub-faction-specific things, which is just cool. It's just yeah. a cool way of fleshing out your sub-faction. And it, uh, it adds an additional layer of, I want to say complexity, but I uh, not complexity, I'll say depth. Yeah, for sure. There's another level, another level of depth. There's that already I some of this that people already. would enjoy, like with Astartes, like only um, like Blood Angels can take certain things that others can't, like Space Wolves too, and Dark right. Angels. Like there's stuff like that, but I don't think any other factions have this, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, not to my knowledge. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any. I mean, I guess like Drakari are kind of weird because only certain models to can be, be of a sub faction, but like there's other stuff like that. But yeah. Drakari just like takes it to another level. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I don't play. I haven't been playing much outside of Astartes, so. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything else really like that, where like certain models can only take certain equipment with a certain sub faction. I think that stuff is kind of cool, though. Yeah. It adds more identity. Yeah. And you know some of the sub factions that are like are like fringe right now. Um, it would be like a cool little boost to those. Yeah. So yeah. How would you feel about um, sub faction specific models? So like Blood Angels have units called like Sanguinary Guard, and they're oh, like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be Space Wolves Wolf. And... Well, there's already kind of stuff like that. Like um, well, sort of. Like a freeboot, uh, like flash gets can only be freebooters, right? Um, I mean, you could take them another list, but they just can't have that sub faction. Yeah. So I mean, that's an example. And like scions can only get the scion bonus. Um, it'd be interesting. Yeah, it'd be cool if they added like something like that. Just adding, adding more. Yeah. To kill team, we always would be, more. Would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So um, that wraps it up for today's mailbag. Um, Mailbag. So we would have the, would we have the mailbag song like after and before? I think we should. Uh, sure, <laughs> sure. I'll try to find a mailbag song. Or Please something. do. Yeah, find like the uh, like the Blues Clues song or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to get sued by Nickelodeon for copyright. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> They're after us. They are after us. Yeah. Can't play hacky sack on stream, Sean. Yeah, I guess not. God. I almost swore. <laughs> God 
darn. Gosh darn it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing else to talk about, right? I mean, is there anything else you wanted to... No, I I think that's going to wrap it up for uh, this episode of the Command Point Podcast. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, hit that uh, subscribe button, share, like, comment, mm-hmm. whatever it is you do. Come over to our Discord. We're having a great old time there. Yep. Um, if you're not there, you're missing out. Yeah, Let you really you. are. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not on our Discord, it's it's kind of weird. I know for a fact there's more people listening than there are people on the Discord, so something is clearly wrong. Yeah, here. yeah. Uh, we need to uh, remedy this this problem. So go on yeah. the Discord, uh, start talking to people. Uh, even if you don't play Tabletop Simulator, there's still so much like regular Kill Team discussion going yeah. on. Yeah, it's, it's free. It's worth it. And it's free. It's free. You get to talk to all like the big competitive kill team players basically pick yep. their brains play games yep and they're all really friendly if you reach out to them they will almost definitely uh talk to you yeah yep anything else no that wraps it up so uh yep thanks for listening and uh see you later guys. hope to hear you all again soon Bye bye